Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Ike, the Steelers aren't going to run the table anymore, losing last night to the Washington football team. But you could have bet on the Steelers to go undefeated. You can bet on game spreads, totals, team player, and coaching props. Bet online really is the place to be for all of your online wagering needs. Yeah, so going undefeated, I know the, with the 1972 Dolphins, I know they're happy. They popping bottles. I should pop a bottle as well with them. Uh, but Pittsburgh still, they, they've, been, they've been getting by the last couple of games, Mark. They've been winning close games that could have been lost. You know, if you want to look at that Tennessee game, they could have lost the Tennessee game. If you want to look at a Dallas Cowboys game, they could have lost the Dallas Cowboys game. If you want to look at a depleted Ravens last week game, they could have lost against the Ravens, and it just finally caught up with them. You know, so, but like I said, I tweeted this last night, and you retweeted it. I'd rather Pittsburgh lose to an NFC team because what they bought the face now was a, a nine and three Cleveland Browns, a nine and three Buffalo Bills, a, a eleven and two Colts, or depleted Cincinnati Bengals. So all these games are AFC games. And as of now, until they get back to the drawing board, and I think they'll get back to the drawing board, and that's running the ball. So you win so many games by letting this quick passing game, you know, let it so-called be your running game. And I get it, you ain't gonna change it. Well, now you gotta change it. And I think that was Coach Tomlin's frustration. It was like, I'm cool with these wins, but eventually, in order for us to make it to the playoffs, in order for us to do what we wanna do, and that's to hoist a, a Lombardi, in order for us to play Pittsburgh Steelers just on a regular playoff football, you gotta be able to run the ball. And that's something they've been doing well. So this loss to the Washington team, it's gonna provide a mentality to where the Pittsburgh Steelers have to get back to. Now, I, I was one of those guys saying, let's see how far Pittsburgh go in throwing the ball. Because I'm like, this is Big Ben. He got a young wide receiver core. He can groom them up, uh, mold them how he want to mold them, and see how many games they win. But now you got to hand the ball off. You got to start putting the ball in the belly of these running backs. And, and in order to do that and to get where you need to get and to win Super Bowls, you see what teams doing. You see the Buffalo Bills, even though they're going through a lot of shotguns, you see a Singletary getting yards on the run. Even though Patrick Mahomes is, is, is having an MVP season, you see him running the ball more. So everybody is shifting their game plan later on during the season, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are not. So in that case, Pittsburgh got to. They got to go back to the running game, Marky Mark. And this might be our longest ad read for betonline.ag. We're going to have a full breakdown here in just a second of the Steelers' loss to the Washington football team. But – Head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Cue the music. It's time to start the show. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by my guy, two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Ike, we are recording this the morning after the Steelers' 23-17 loss to the Washington football team. You're fired up, and Ike, I'm convinced you're a psychic. You predicted Washington's upset of the Steelers ahead of last night's matchup. Roll back the tape, listen to it. You called this game. You called the upset outright. I think you're psychic, Ike. I really do. 
if you if you listen to Big Ben's post game, and honestly, Big Big Ben been having a heck of a season. His receivers, I think, on the last two games, dropped 15 balls as a whole. But Seven said the same thing we was talking about on the show, Mark. Man, they got a lot of first rounders on that D line. So when you when you got tons of first rounders on the D line, you don't have to blitz unless you really want to. And what the Washington team played last night, it was a bend but don't break kind of style. Yeah, they're gonna get their yards and and yeah, we we as long as we close at half, and for them it was a two touchdown lead for the Pittsburgh Steelers. As long as we close at half, at least I feel and Coach Riverboard Ryan and how he felt, we got a shot. And they wind up changing the whole game plan off of what the Pittsburgh Steelers defense was doing uh, to them and the offense and Alex Smith, which exposed a, a, a lot of the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. But when Seven said what we said at least six days ago about them first rounders on that defensive line and their record isn't really showing how good this team is, they just been finding ways to lose. We hit it dead on spot last week, Marky Mark. Well, certainly you did, Ike. And I'm going to go full Yinzer. Targets off the Steelers' backs now because even going into this game when the Steelers were still 11-0, now 11-1, everyone thought that the Chiefs were still the top dog. Now the bullet is on their back. And people were saying that even before Monday night's matchup against the Washington football team. Keep in mind, the Steelers were without James Conner. They were without Marquise Pouncey, without Steven Nelson, and without Chris Boswell going into the game. Joe Hayden and Robert Spillane get hurt. Hopefully those guys can get back on the field for the Steelers' defense in the near future. But we're going to break this down, Ike. There was a lot to unpack from last night's performance. But look, if the performance against the Ravens was a JV performance, a Ravens team that elevated 11 practice squad players, for last week's game against the Steelers. What was last night's performance against the Washington football team? Do we downgrade that from a JV performance to a sophomore or freshman performance? Eventually the wheels were going to fall off. Ike, I think you have the right mentality in terms of, okay, you lose, you get right, you get pissed off, and you focus on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football. That's your next matchup for the Steelers. Pittsburgh got to learn how to close. And the only way you close games out is running the ball. And that's that, that's that four-minute offense. You know what I'm saying? So when you run the ball, it, it eliminates tip balls off of what happened last night late in the game and you're trying to drive and score the touchdown. It's a 600 minus a 300-pound guy. And what I mean by that, um, I just hear this from the offensive line guys. Like, when we run the ball, we can put six, two, two people can lean on one defense alignment. And by the end of the day, by the time that fourth quarter come, man, you're getting four or five yards a pop because you can only hold so much weight for so long in playing the game. And that's what the offense alignment like. Uh, when you watch the Tennessee Titans and the Tennessee Titans, they, they, they ain't really been playing too good either. And if you just look at their defense, but they run the ball well in four minutes. And that's, and that's a four-minute offense the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have. They don't have a four-minute ground-and-pound offense. You know what I'm saying? So that, that four-minute offense, and it, it usually starts in the beginning of the third quarter. So you end the third quarter with a four-minute offense, and you wind up winning the game in the fourth quarter with a four-minute offense. The Pittsburgh Steelers don't have that right now. I think they're number 29th in the league in rushing. That's not going to cut it to where you want to go. You know what I'm saying? So, and, they, and they, they, they're running up against teams that got some runners. You know, the Buffalo Bills, they got a nice low running game. We talked about the Cleveland Browns. They got Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson in the backfield with Nick Chubbs and Kareem Hunt. If you want to go – with the Colts, they got Jonathan Taylor, big guy from Wisconsin and Hines. Like, 
they ain't playing no games. If I need to run the ball, I can run the ball. And that's something the Pittsburgh Steelers is lacking right now is a running game. And for these playoffs between December, January, hopefully we can get to February football, and that's the Super Bowl in Tampa, you got to have a running game, Mark. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's, that's where they're lacking at. And they got to get back to this four-minute offense, and that's running the ball. Ike, I know we've talked about previous podcasts, how the quick passing game has served as an extension of the running game. But the Steelers had seven drops last night. Seven drops. That's the most over the last 15 seasons, and it's the most by any team this season. Steelers have a league-high 31 drops, and that's because they're passing the ball at a much higher rate than they are running the ball because they trust Big Ben in the empty sets. If you're going to do that, your receivers have to catch the ball. And we've talked about how the Steelers receivers have depth, but if Juju Smith-Schuster is your elder statesman, and he's, what, 24 years old, you're going to have some younger players who are talented but who can struggle from a consistency standpoint at times. And if you want to criticize the offensive line or Big Ben, if you're using the quick passing game as an extension of the running game, you're going to see drops. You're going to see plays like the play that sealed it for the Washington football team, the tipped pass by Montez Sweat, and it was intercepted by Jonathan Bostic. That sealed it in last night's game. So things can go wrong, even in the quick passing game, even on high percentage plays, in the sense that if you can just turn the ball, hand it to your running back, and rely on your offensive line, there's not that chance of an incomplete pass. So what I talk about all the time is how well the Pittsburgh Steelers drive receivers from cold weather schools. You know what I'm saying? And they ain't making me look good right now because they, it's, it's, it's getting cold and they dropping the balls. You know what I'm saying? So other than the Tennessee game, which I thought Ben had an had a okay, okay bad game, other than that, man, seven been throwing the ball exactly where his receivers need to catch and run or his receivers just need to catch the ball. And they have it. And I think that's due to lack of concentration. Uh, one, because they're a young team. Two, a lot of their passes have been quick game, and they've been wanting to catch the ball to make a move and pick up yards instead of actually understanding, I got to catch the ball to make this move. You know what I'm saying? I think another thing, what they need to do, Pittsburgh Steelers, is play James Washington, man. Because every time you play James Washington, he come up big. Big play James. Every time, every time. So you got all these receivers doing the game, and every time you need to play, who you call on? 13, James Washington. And we talk about how old school, him working on the farm, him understanding what it is, him making the big plays. He's one of the only guys that got strong hands. And I've said this plenty of times. I wound up shaking a man's hand when he was rookie. I thought he was going to squeeze my pulse out. My own. <laughs> you want to talk about a firm, a firm grip. And you know the old school saying, man, when you shake a man's hand, man, look him in the eye and get a firm grip. Well, man, he damn near broke all my knuckles. <laughs> and, and that's that old school working on the form mentality that he got. So I think James should play a lot more. Between Deontay uh, Johnson and Eric Ibram, y'all got to start catching the ball, bro, because y'all getting a lot of opportunities. And, of course, seven is going to look for y'all during crunch time. So you got to start squeezing the ball and looking the ball in. But you just hit a stat, man, 31 drops this season. That's leading the NFL the style they're playing and to get what they want to get, that ain't going to work. Now, if, if, if we would have said seven drops over the course of the season, 
we'll be talking a lot bit different with that 11-1 record. They'll probably be 12-0, you know what I'm saying? But the Pittsburgh still is a wide receiver core. They got to start squeezing the football if they want to run that offense. If they don't want to run the offense, they know what they need to do, man. They need to run the ball. And it's the first Steelers loss in 340 days. December 29th, 2019 marked the Steelers' last loss. That was week 17 of the 2019 season. Ike, let's get right into these Instagram questions that we have from listeners. And Jackson R. Corb wants to know if the lack of practice time with Big Ben is a game changer because of all the drops that we've seen from the receivers. And I do want to point one thing out before you get to his question, Ike. A lot of people are making of that the Steelers are playing three games in 12 days. Well, they did that in the 2019 season. They did that in 2018, 2016, and 2015. So this happens pretty much every year. Why are we freaking out about this again? I understand circumstances are different with COVID, but it's just like, it says, oh, three games in 12 days. Yeah, that's, I want more time to prepare for my opponent, but they've done this for the last five years multiple times. Is it lack of practice time? Is it lack of concentration of just watching the ball all the way into your hands? Why are we seeing the high number of drops? I, I do think part of it is the play calling in terms of not relying on the run as much as you would with the traditional offense. But what do you see with that, Ike? Seven been putting the ball where the receivers need to catch it. So, and, and I know seven, and if you give seven an inch, he's going to take them out. So during this COVID trace, not that he had COVID, he was around somebody who had COVID, and they called it a trace. And they won the ball game and seven only practice on Friday. No, 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 he practiced doing the walkthrough, so that was a sad day. You remember when Coach T had a look, I think he spent like 15 to 20 minutes extra on that walkthrough on Saturday, and then wound up winning the ball game? I know seven, I know how you think. Well, coach, we won the ball game, and I really don't need to practice throughout the week. So from this point on, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Since you didn't gave me this inch, I'm going to go ahead and stroke this mile. I only need to practice one day of the week, and that's a Friday. That's the only time I need to practice. Now, in Ben's defense, the balls he's been throwing, they've been very catchable balls. Very catchable. As a receiver, they've been very catchable balls. So as a receiving core, they just got to own their responsibility on catching the ball and being consistent, especially during crunch time. All right, let's move to the next question. We have several of them to get to. Uh, Daniel Jacobs, 1027, asks, why sign a kicker if you do not have faith in him to hit a manageable field goal? And so specifically what he's talking about was late in the fourth quarter. 17, 17. 17 all, and you've got about a fourth and one. one. It would have been about a 45-yard field goal. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've got a tie game. Now, again, we mentioned off the top that Boswell was out with a hip injury. I have no problem of going forward on fourth and one there. And that's something that Coach T took ownership of during the post-game news conference. But the play call is one thing that I just question. The Steelers decide to throw the ball to Anthony McFarland on a fourth and one. An empty set, sluggo route, back shoulder throw. Anthony McFarlane only has five catches this season. They haven't used him all that much. You've got 
Juju, you've got Chase, you've got Deontay, you've got James Washington, Eric Ebron. Why not go to one of those other options who's been a little bit more proven this season than to rely on -on one-on-one coverage with the running back who hasn't seen the field all that much this season? It's one thing to criticize the decision to go for it on fourth down, but to me, the play call was what didn't make any sense to me. What did you see on that play in that situation for the Steelers? No, I agree with you 100%. Um, I agree with Coach Tomlin, his decision maker. I agree with Coach Tomlin on I would trust Ben because Boswell is not in on fourth and one. Now, the disagreement was the alignment and who was on the outside, like you say, running that slogan. If I'm going to have anybody run that slogan, and we talked about this guy at the beginning of the show, it's going to be James Washington. <laughs> because I know <laughs> during crunch time, James Washington have came through for me time in and time out. And what you asking McFarlane to do is something he usually can't do, and that's to twist and turn his body and catch that ball. Receivers, they do it all the time. But if I'm Coach Randy, and if I'm going to have a guy who is running that sluggo, I'm going to have a guy who I know probably going to come down with the ball, either Chase Claypool or James Washington in that moment. I want to piggyback off that, Ike. We need to remember this conversation because later in the season – just have a feeling with your psychic mm. abilities, Ike. James Washington's <laughs> going to come up again, and it's going to be like, oh, where, where did this come from? And I'm going to say, my guy Ike Taylor called this weeks ago. Weeks ago. So we need to remember this in terms of when the Steelers need a big play later in the season, maybe in the playoffs. Remember this conversation right now, the listeners, because like I said, Ike, you're – He wound up I, catching I, the touchdown in uh, Dallas, right? Yeah, so he caught a touchdown in Dallas. That was a sluggo. He wound up catching the third and 10 against the Ravens. That sealed the deal. So that's the guy. That's, and he was doing this last year with the uh, backups, with, with, with Duck, Duck Hodges. He was, he, he, was, he was sealing the deal with Duck Hodges last year in company. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what do you not like? Like, what's your excuse? Because he's – and I'm – and I'm asking this for OC Randy. Randy, why James ain't getting the ball more? Like, like, like it, there is no excuse. He's been proven and have proved to you numerous of times. When you need a John Paxson or a BJ Armstrong, and we're going back to the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. When you need a John Paxson and a BJ Armstrong to sit in the corner, even though they've been sitting on the bench for damn near 38 minutes, come off of it. And when you need a three and they clutch you and Jordan know exactly where to find them, same as James. James ain't been playing the whole dang game. But as soon as you need James, he come through for you. Randy played a man more because since last year, all he do is all he has been for you is Mr. Clutch. That's how I look at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember this conversation and say you call it in terms of James Washington right now. We'll go to the next question from our listeners on Instagram. Colin West wanted to know your thoughts on the refs at the end of the first half. I thought this was a savvy move by Alex Smith. He just runs off the field with the ball, and the refs couldn't spot the ball, so they had to stop the clock to place it. I, I'm not sure about this. If kickers have a separate ball than what's used no, by the offense. Yeah. Correct, yes. So I would want to hear an explanation from the NFL as to why the clock just didn't continue to run with Alex Smith running off the field with the offense's ball. But 
the clock wouldn't continue or why there wasn't a 10 second runoff, I'm not sure that the Washington football team gets off that field goal at the end of the first half and they wind up cutting the deficit 14 to three after the field goal. You said the best word for what happened in that scenario with Alex Smith, savvy. So only a savvy vet can understand what's going on in the game. He understood the momentum and he changed that thing ASAP. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that was a good move by, by Alex Smith. Now in the NFL, since that happened, and they're going to get a lot of criticism for it, they're going to change it. So I'm just surprised that the New England Patriots haven't done it before Alex Smith has done it. Because usually that's what Coach Bill Belichick is good for uh, either he might call it bending the rules. A lot of people call him breaking a lot of rules. So Alex Smith did something I don't think the people, I don't think the coaching staff even thought about. And that, that was just a savvy move. That, that's all that was. I don't think it ever happened again because they're aware of it now. But for a veteran guy and Alex Smith, man, I, 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 like, I like the fact he did it. I hate the fact he did it against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that was, that, we call that the Michael Jackson RIP. That was a smooth criminal right there, baby. The two things I thought of, like, and I love, I love the <laughs> reference there. The two things I thought of was earlier this year, Larry Fitzgerald did kind of the opposite in terms of instead of running out of bounds with the ball and switching out the balls for the kicker is he ran to the center of the field to help the ref place the ball quicker to salvage time with the Arizona Cardinals earlier this year. And then another guy I know who does this in terms of bending the rules is Titans head coach Mike Vrabel, who always finds a way to either keep always. the clock rolling or to stop the clock in the most unconventional ways in terms of maybe committing a penalty that stops who is, the clock. Who is what football that is? Who is football that is? There you go, Ike. Bill Belichick. Yeah, there you Bill go. Bill and, 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 he, and he did it on the New England Patriots. There you go. I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. So <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You ain't lying. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't lying, Mark. And I know Belichick, Belichick was, I know he was hot internally, but he was like, this son of a gun beat me to the punch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like you say, man, the apple don't fall far. Well, yeah, and it's like the protege beating the master, and that typically doesn't happen with Bill Belichick. It doesn't happen with, like, Nick Saban's assistants in college football at either. All. All. It's, hard. It's, it's hard for the student to be the sensei. You, you very rarely see the student be the sensei. And in, in that particular moment, Mike Babel, uh, you know, who was a student, and they called Bill Belichick the sensei, he wound up beating him in his own game. So thank you to the listeners for the questions on Instagram yes, and appreciate perspective adds to our insight on this show and our discussion. So shout out to the listeners on Instagram for reaching out to us with that. Ike, the silver linings I would have after last night's game is you mentioned this off the top, losing to an NFC team versus an AFC team. Steelers are still in first place in the AFC North. Still in first place for the AFC, and that top seed is so important because you get that first round by the only team where that will happen to with the new playoff format. So in the standings, you're still ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, right. I think TJ Watt showed he's still a beast, and he I played don't. out of his mind. You tweeted something I, I thought was really interesting 
about how you think that edge rushers or defensive ends should play on the left side of the left defense, side. the right side from an offensive standpoint and line up across from the right tackle because most quarterbacks are right-handed. Right I was yes. hoping you'd be able to expand on your point on why you think edge rushers should line up there versus going up against a left tackle. I just, I wanted you to explain that to our listeners. I thought it was very insightful. I think over the years, we just had it backwards. And what I mean by having it backwards was we call the right side, which is the left side of the offense, the blind side, if you're the offensive tackle. Now, most of your quarterbacks are, are right-handed, Mark. So if you look at J.J. Watt at the time, if you can only imagine Lawrence Taylor playing on the right side at the time, if you look at now, don't don't get it twisted. They switched TJ from right to left, and there's a reason why. If you look at the Von Millers, who switched from from right to left, it's a reason why. Because now the quarterbacks see and feel you. It's a difference where you have a lot of trust. Like if I'm if I'm a quarterback and I I have a lot of trust in my blind side, I'm cool. But to actually see a guy putting pressure in my face, down in and down out, that's going to mess with my psyche. You know what I'm saying? If you get an athletic guy, like a TJ Watt, like a Jadavian Clowney, like a Chase Young, when you get guys like that, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, them, them, them guys, they, <laughs> they are savages and they wreak havoc on that left side of the defense. And this it, it's a reason why. So the ties have turned. You know what I'm saying? And if I'm the DC, I'm moving him over to the left side of that defense. And, and, and that's the reason why, because my quarterbacks for the for the most part are right-handed quarterbacks. And I want I want the quarterback to see, I want the quarterback to smell, I want the quarterback to feel my best defender on that defensive line coming at him every down, whether it's a run play or a passing play. And that's just how it is. So that's why you start to see a lot of right tackles are getting paid, you know, because a lot of your dominant guys on that defensive line who are pass rushers, them guys play on the left side of that defense now. So um, the blind side was cool. The blind side had his moments. It, it, it had his days. Uh, we, we had a guy on the blind side, which was James Harrison, a.k.a. Debo, and we had a guy who dominated on the left side, which was Lamar Woodley. So we had, we had the best of both worlds when it came down to two dominant guys. Uh, Khalil Mack, what side he play on? The left side. So I'm, I'm trying to give people these insights on if you have a good D lineman who can hold off the run but are very talented as pass rushers, you put them on the left side. And the reason why you put them on the left side, the quarterback going to get tired. They're going to get tired. They gonna, they, their decision making is going to be quicker than usual. They're going to they gonna wind up, and we call it turmoil. They're going to wind up having turmoil and arguments where they, they right side tackles because it's hard to stop, bro. It's hard to stop. So now you, you, you add extra tight ends to, to the mix. So now you got to get a chip. The tight end got to delay. Now you got to gotta, you gotta get a chip with the running back, the running back delay. So it messes, it messes up the timing with everything if you move a, a guy like a Chase Young to the left side. 
if I'm hearing you right, let me make an analogy for you, mm -hmm. Ike. I went skiing several years ago in Breckenridge, Colorado. First day I was there, it was very foggy, very overcast. You couldn't see 50 yards in front of you. I go mm -hmm. down one of the steepest slopes on the ski hill, couldn't see anything, made it down just fine. I couldn't see anything. The next day I'm out on the same slope, clear as day, you could see everything. And I look down and it is a straight drop down. Oh, so you was on a black diamond. <laughs> you was on the black diamond. Yes, I was. You was on the black diamond. Yes, I was. Yeah, you was. Yeah, you was. I, I did the black diamond. Like I, me, my son, my son made me do it because my son said I was scary. He was like, "Dad, you scary. You need to do the black diamond." So when I tell people, and this is off subject, later no, you're fine. Time, you're fine. But the black diamond is literally you. You're going down. Basically, you falling out of airplane. Yeah. Ba yeah. Basically, you're you're just falling out, but you're doing the skiing. You know what I'm saying? And I wind up off of one day. I did that off of one day, first time ever skiing. My skiing instructor, who was an Air Force pilot back in the day, he was like, look, bro, I think you're ready for the Black Diamond. And I said, what the heck is a Black Diamond? Like, I thought this goddamn <laughs> hotel, I thought this hotel was five stars. I thought it was a Diamond Hotel because we was in Bell. I said, man, this is a guy, I, I know, I know I'm staying at a goddamn Diamond Hotel. He said, no, 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 no. Look up there. And I looked up there, I said, man, I'm not looking up. I'm down there looking all the way up. He said, yeah, that's where we're going. So when you said you were skiing down and you saw the fog, first thing came to my head, Marky Mark, was Black Diamond. And there's not only Olympians, only certified skiers and damn near Olympians do the Black Diamond. I did the Black Diamond once and almost pooped and peed my pants. <laughs> and I said, I, I would <laughs> never ever, ever in my life, <laughs> ever in my life. So I understand how you felt it being foggy and you really couldn't see, then you seeing the clear of day was, and, and, and psychologically in your head, like, I know yesterday I didn't just do this. It was scarier. So my, my point was with the tackles, it was scarier not being able to see. So to have an, a dominant edge rusher on the blind side, Keep them on the blind side. I don't know what can't hurt me. It was scarier to actually see that the next day. I had to call my buddies like on the mountain because I was horrified. I was like, you guys have to meet me. Otherwise, I'm going to die at some point on this mountain. I'm not going to be able to make it down. And one of them met me. And we went down really, really slowly. But uh, here I am today. But that's kind of my analogy in terms of where you want to line up an edge rusher blind side to where a quarterback can't see or right in front of a quarterback's face where you have to deal with that edge rusher play after play after play after play. Yeah, I agree. Agree. And I'm, and I'm sorry for messing up your analogy because it was a heck of an analogy. I like it, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where it's at. You know what I'm saying? For that, for that fogginess and that fogginess being that left side, that blind side, I can deal with it. If I, if I got some nice lights on my car, I can deal with it. If I drive the speed limit, I'm cool psychologically. But man, when it when it's clear and and, and it come down that black diamond slope, if anybody knows how to ski, uh, when you see a guy on the left side of that defense and snap in and snap out, man, he's always in your face. It's gonna mess with you mentally. So the keys for the Steelers against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football in prime time, I think getting that running game going because what the Steelers did against the Washington football team isn't going to cut it. 14 rushes for 21 yards. You've, I, I don't care what injuries 
you have along the offensive line that needs to be improved. And I'd like to see this Steelers defense continue to get after the quarterback. The sack streak of 69 games ties the record. So if they get one sack against the Bills, that will break the NFL record for most consecutive sacks for the Steelers. And it, it will be 70 games if they break that against the Bills. Hopefully TJ Watt can keep it going. I want to see this team get healthy too. Go ahead, I cop in. Yeah, High Smith on the other side, Marky Mark, didn't play bad at all. You know, High Smith on the, on the opposite side of TJ, TJ Watt. He, he wound up handling his business. You know what I'm saying? So they – Pittsburgh still is – when it comes down to the wide receivers and the, and the outside linebackers, they do, a, they, do a, they do a great job of finding those kind of guys that fit their style and what they want to do. And Highsmith had a heck of a game. He didn't – I think he had a sack, and that was because T.J. Watt had the pressure. So them guys getting sacked, Stephon toward his back, Cam, you already know what Cam is doing in the inside. So – Cam, not Cam, but Stephon Tua had a sack. TJ had a sack. And I think Highsmith had a sack. So they, they going to get to the quarterback, whether it's the interior defense alignment or your outside linebackers, they're going to find a way. But like you say, man, they, Mark, they got to find a running game, bro. In order to have a chance against this hot, more educated, heck of a coaching staff and Coach Sean, who's educating this quarterback and Josh Allen, Josh Allen every year has gone up on his stats statistically at least 20%. And, and we talk about this on our show all the time. That has everything to do with coaching. Everything. When you see the progression of quarterbacks, look at the coach. And I've been a huge fan of Baker Mayfield. And to Baker Mayfield's defense between Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens, he just had, he just had some okay coaches. Now he gets the coach that he needs, and you see what Baker Mayfield do. You don't go nine and three by just being okay. Now you go nine and three by having a heck of a defense, and they have a lot of first rounders on that defense. A lot of first rounders on that defense. But man, like you say, that Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield with Nick Chubbs and Kareem Hunt, and you, now you get a first round tight end back, and you know, in Joku. So, and it's crazy. Jarvis Landry has always been the guy but now you see where obj out he's really the guy it's a blessing and a curse it hurts that obj is out of the lineup and the world likes to see obj because it's only one play that obj needs to make it spectacular you know what i'm saying but to see baker go back into his second year what he balled out. That's what he's doing right now, bro. That's yeah. exactly. And I think that, 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 that has everything to do with coaching. To see Josh Allen progress every year from his first year, what is 2018 to two, 2020, to see him, you know, every year take steps forward, that's coaching. That's, that's just coaching. Baker Mayfield in, in the course of a year and a half is coaching. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we, we, when you get drafted that high, obviously the team was sucking the year before or a couple of years before that. But boy, when you find you're a good coach, Coach Sean McVay. If Jared Goff didn't have Coach Sean McVay, who knows where Jared Goff would be? I don't even know if he'll be starting right now. So coaching has a lot to do with it. And, and, and I'm talking Coach Mike Tomlin to get down to your fourth string quarterback last year with Doug Hodges and to go 8-8. Eight the man didn't have a losing season in 14 years. 
to, to that's coaching. You know who's proving that this year too, Ike? And yeah. I know you're not going to want to hear this, but Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots. They have a quarterback who can't throw the ball no, I, 10 I, yards I like past it. 10 yards. And they're, they're barely throwing the ball, and they still have a 500 record this year. Ike, I'm pretty sure you would start on the Patriots offense this year. Their skill position players are just very meh. Like, just eh. Hey, and and you're, you're proving why coaching matters. You're proving why coaching matters. And Belichick, I trust. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is – and now they back in the hunt. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so the, the Ravens slipping, the New England Patriots, they didn't got the grip on their shoes, and they're ready. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I get what you're saying, coaching – Coaching matters, bro. Like, I don't, I don't care about this talent. I really don't care about the talent. You got to have good coaches. You know what I'm saying? And I've, I've witnessed with my own eyes because I won with talent and I won with no talent. You know, so coaching means everything. I just so happen to be, as a professional, I've been around Hall of Fame coaches. Dick LeBeau, um, Russ Grimm, Coach Cower, Mike Malarkey. A uh, Hall of Fame owner in, in, in Paul Paul Dan, a Hall of Fame GM, I think, in Kevin Colbert, Hall of Fame guys I didn't play with, like the Troy Palomalos, the Allen Fenicas, the the Pounceys, uh, depending on how they feel about AB, he going to wind up going, the Hines Wards. Man, I just been surrounded by Hall of Fame. It's Coach T, he going to wind up getting in the Hall of Fame. So for me as an athlete, bro, all I've been surrounded by was greatness. So when I'm talking, I'm talking what they told me. Like, Dick LeBeau can talk for days. You know, he, he, he been in the league. The man played between playing and coaching 60 years. Between playing and coaching 60 years. People in this, in this generation, it's hard for people to live to be 60 years old. The man played and coached for 60 years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So just picture at the time, you know, Papa Rooney, when he passed away, you know, he, he was he was up there at age. Picture everything he seen back in the day as a lad, as a little baby. So man, I just I just been around greatness and I've been very fortunate. So when I'm talking, I'm talking because I'm I'm looking in the eyes of the people I've been around, you know. So it's it's I've been very fortunate, bro. Very, very fortunate to be one of that organization to to soak up a lot of information, whether it was my owner, my GM, my head coach, or my teammates. And to have played with so many Hall of Famers, and even before that, Marky Mark, the 70s Steelers, they still live in Pittsburgh for the most part. And you sit down and talk to them, you know? Man, I used to talk to Mean Joe Green all the time, talk to Mel Blunt all the time. I've, I've, just, I've just got a relationship with Franco Harris. Like him and I, him and I sat down to talk one time, and he couldn't believe how I was talking to him, and I couldn't believe how he was talking to me. Like, man, I wish you would have came around more often. That's me talking to Franco. Like, Franco, I wish you would have came around more often. Well, Wayne want to take y'all spotlight. Now, like, now nah, y'all started this shit. We we wanted to see, we wanted to talk to y'all. Like, y'all weren't taking the spotlight. He was like, damn, I, I never thought. I'm like, Frank, like, man, you legend, <laughs> you a legend. Why wouldn't I not want to talk to you? Mel Blunt, why wouldn't I not want to talk to you? 
Lynn Swan, why wouldn't I not want to talk to you? I'm cool with Rocky Bly now. Like, man, I'm just, since we sitting here talking, man, it's just, it's crazy, bro. It's, it's crazy. Uncle Prime, he was on the show. Michael Irvin, Uncle Irvin, like, man, I'm just surrounded by greatness, dog. Well, you want to know <laughs> what it is, Ike? With the Steelers, up, we talk about what makes a successful franchise. Stability with ownership, general manager, head coach, quarterback. Steelers have had like three head coaches. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Think of not just the years that go by, not just the decades that go by. You're talking about generations of right. fans, of players that come through, of people that are around the team and that support the team. So you have stability, you just, you just you have stability with yeah. three, with three. You, and you think guesstimate with what, 15 per, 15 per coach? Just guesstimating like every coach did at least 15 years? Yeah. Shit, we're down to talking about four to five years. Yeah. At, at least, at least three coaches in four to five years. Man, they be having coaching car- they be having coaches carousel for a lot of these teams. It's a reason why. My thing is, you must have you you gotta have a knack for that. How you know he's gonna be a good coach? Like what's your instinct? What's your what's like how's the organization this 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 guy fit? You know what I'm saying? Like how you how you know this guy fit our organization? Like how you know as a coach coward, this guy after Chuck no, after Chuck no, it's hard to hire somebody. I'm just guessing. Awful Chuck No accomplishments. I'm just guessing, man. It's hard to hire after Chuck No. Then you hire Bill Cowher. Like, how you know what? What is it as a GM, as a as an owner? Like, oh yeah, he the one. Then you hire Coach Tomlin, and you was one of the first ones in the Rooney Rule. We need to hire more minorities ahead as head coaches. Like, how you how you? I guess when you know, you know. I think that's a great point, though, because I think about college programs a lot of the times. A lot of times, you know, you don't want to be the guy after the guy. And so I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about here, right? Whoever takes over for Nick Saban at Alabama probably isn't going to be quite as successful as Nick Saban at Alabama. And the moment you hire a coach to replace Nick Saban whenever he decides to hang it up, it's probably let's start the countdown on when this guy is going to get fired. And I'm, I, I'm dead serious about this. So the fact that the Steelers have continued that in terms of this is the guy that we're going to go with year in and year out. I can speak because I've been watching Steelers football since Tomlin took over, not having a losing season now in what is 14th season coaching now. How many other fan bases would love to be in line? Hey, sign me up for that. To where you know at a minimum, at a minimum, you're getting eight wins year in and year out. How many other face, fan bases would want to sign up for that immediately? You know what? I'm going to disagree with you on that one. And here is why I'm going to disagree. I almost agree with you, but this, I'm a, this, this is why I'm going to disagree. And tell me if this makes sense. What you've done being successful makes sense or have worked out. So if I'm coming behind a Nick Saban, and I think Nick only had one game he was off due to COVID. So if I'm coming behind Nick Saban, there's two things I need to do. I need to keep his recruiting coordinator, one. As, a, as a, I need to keep his recruiting coordinator, one. Two, I need to give me three good running backs. 
and an okay quarterback. Because Alabama quarterbacks, when they get to the league, they don't do nothing at all. You know what I'm saying? And I, I need to – my strength is going to be the defensive line. I need one good safety and one – I call it 6 o'clock like baseball. I need a safety, a middle linebacker, a good D lineman. That's straight up the middle. I get the top recruits in one of these three, I can build around. I can build from the outside in. I'm going to get me an okay quarterback who's not going to throw the ball away, but he's going to be a manager quarterback. And I'm going to load up that running back position. I'm going to have at least four running backs that's ready to go. That's the blueprint Nick Saban has given everybody. If you come in, now, if you want to go on your own, you're going to wind up messing up. If you want to keep this tradition going, if you're a Nick Saban, that's the way you go. Same thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What is the Pittsburgh Steelers known of? Good defenses. So during Chuck Noll days, you had a, a mean, mean ass defense. A lot of Hall of Famers. During Coach Coward days and then in the Levon Kirklands and Cornell Lakes and all those guys, all those guys, you had a mean linebacker crew and a good defense. When I played, we had we was top five number one for a long time. Long time. So now they're back to what they're doing the Pittsburgh Steelers on having a defense. So if Coach T leave, if I'm somebody who taking Coach T spot, I got to have a mean as defense. If I want to start this and say my offense going to win a Super Bowl, you're lying to yourself. So I think the blueprint between those successful organizations between Coach Nick Saban and Coach Tomlin, it's already set. All you got to do is just go with the recipe. If you want to add something different to the recipe, you're going to wind up feeling. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, and that's easier said than done. That's certainly right. easier said than done. With Nick Saban, though, he started to pivot a little bit, though, too, because look at his quarterback play. I know traditionally what you're saying is true in that the Alabama quarterbacks haven't gone on to have NFL success. We'll see what Tua can do. Mac Jones is up for Heisman contention this season. Really, other than these last two or three seasons with Tua and now Mac Jones, you're exactly right in the sense that quarterback, take the snap, going to hand it off to one of my studs Every, in the backfield. Everybody got different, and we're going off script, but everybody got different ways they're going to win. Like if, you, if you're if a Clemson, I'm going to get me a mobile, accurate, I'm going to get the number one quarterback. I'm going to get the number one quarterback coming out of high school because this this is what my offense is predicated around. You well, know, I'm going to – let me interject too, Ike, and this goes back to what you were saying in terms of keeping your recruiting coordinator. Brett Venables, the defense coordinator for Clemson, and they pay him like they would a head coach. You don't have the stress because of being a head it's, coach. It's a reason why. You yep. know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I, when I got something that good, and if I'm a college coach, Marky Mark, I ain't trying to go to the NFL because I'm getting paid more than NFL coaches. Like, it looks good on a resume, and that's so-called a pinnacle. But why try to go to the pinnacle when I'm getting paid more than these boys? When they're looking at how much we're getting paid on college to justify what they need to get paid in the NFL. Yeah, it's a lot. Don't get me wrong. You having 100, 105 players, it's a, it's a lot, bro. It's a lot. I get it. And, and you babysitting. You damn near a bona fide babysitter when you get to college. You know what I'm saying? But, man, these – these head coaches, Marky Mark, or if you're a good DC, or if you're an offense or a defense coordinator, being a recruiting recruiting guy, eight million dollars here, nine million dollars there, and you ain't gotta spend a dime 
because the boost is going to make sure you straight. Hey, bro, go on and take this loaner car or go on and take this alumni house. Man, you ain't paying, you ain't paying for nothing in college if you're a power five. Yep. And getting paid and getting paid beaucoup millions and millions and millions of dollars. Man, y'all got me effed up. I wish I would be a I wish I would be a college. I wish I would be a college coach. I ain't never leaving college. NFL, please do not, do not call me. Do not call me. If I'm winning these goddamn national championships or getting close, do not, do not. Nick Saban, like, I already know what Nick Saban thinking. If y'all want me to leave Alabama, I need 18 a year. And you couldn't be mad at him. <laughs> Who the head coach for Clemson? Who's the head coach for Clemson? Dabo. Sweeney. If y'all want me to leave Clemson, man, I need 15 a year. And you and you can't you can't you can't be mad at him. Not to mention how much further your dollar dollar goes and say, yeah, Clemson, South Carolina, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama compared to a major American city where the cost of living is substantially higher. Marky Mark, as a, as a head coach, and you've been winning, basically you're on scholarship. Just think about it. You're on scholar. You ain't got to pay for nothing. You ain't got to pay. You ain't, the only thing you're doing is tipping whoever's serving you. Because <laughs> they give you everything for the free. Right or wrong, Marky Mark. You get those, don't you spit your water out. You getting everything for the free. You getting everything for the free. Man, y'all got me effed up. Uh, man, man, I'm not, I'm not leaving. If I'm Dabo, if I'm Coach, Coach Nick, even a young stud, they thought, they were saying, and this is no knock to Coach Urban Meyer at Ohio State, former coach. They were saying he was next in line. Who's the head coach for, for, for Ohio State now? Ryan Day. And you just heard it through the players. They was loving him. They won't trip, they won't tripping on Coach Urban Myers leaving. They was like, <laughs> we got somebody right behind him who who just as good, just as young. And he's one of them that have a beautiful mind. I'm not leaving to go to the NFL when I know. So hold on. So y'all gonna give me a house. Y'all gonna give me a car. My kids can wind up going here if they're young. Y'all gonna give me a TV show or a radio show, and y'all finna pay me six million dollars. So all I gotta do is tip the waiter or the waitress or sign me up. And I got a nice recruiting coordinator. Sign me up, baby. Sign me up. So all I gotta do, I gotta get the the state of Ohio. I gotta get the state of PA if I can. Come down south if I need some guys. If I want some wide receivers. It's plenty, it's, it's plenty of guys, plenty of athletes down south. So all I got to do is recruit for a DB or a corner or a wide receiver. Just come down south because it's plenty of them. And everybody else, I can just stay up north. Oh, yeah, we good. And you say six million a year? Okay, so really, I'm really, I'm really getting six a year because I ain't paying for nothing? Yes, sir. And one of y'all boosters, one of y'all boosters got a jet that I can just keep flying back and forth to? Yes, sir. Sign me up, baby. So I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, ain't got to go commercial. I ain't got to worry about TSA. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You just tell the pilot what time you want to leave and drive your car up there. Oh, sign me up, baby. And if I'm Nick Saban, if I don't feel like riding and sitting in Orlando traffic, I can just drop that helicopter right there. 
Yeah, I can just drop that helicopter right there. Sign me up, baby. <laughs> easy money. Mark, that's, that's easy money. I love reading the stories every year where it's like Nick Saban just drops a helicopter at some high school and it's just like, can you imagine just being a student there? It's like, oh, what's going on? Why is emergency landing? Nah, Nick Saban just decided that he wanted to talk to a coach or talk to a recruit. I'm saying this because I saw it last year live in person. And that this, this is the reason why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because I've seen it live in person. And when I saw it, I say, then the man got in the helicopter because he didn't want to sit in traffic and the people paying for that. I said, boy, head coaches in the NFL, boy, you got to sit in traffic <laughs> to come see. So Nick and Dabo got a better life or living just as good as coaches who win in Lombardi's? Yes. Damn. So, okay, it's, it's Taylor Talk Tuesday, Ike. Who did you see last year? Br- break it down for the listeners. Where, where did this happen? What do you remember Edgewater. about it? Yeah, Edgewater. Edgewater, so between Edgewater, defensive lineman. So Edgewater, between Edgewater, so Edgewater and Bishop Moore, they're pretty – Bishop Moore is a private school. Edgewater is a public school. But they, bro, they're like 500 yards away from each other. But Edgewater of late, been having some dog defense alignment come through. So, you know, it's a, it's a, and I don't think people know, you know, uh, Nick Saban is Italian, you know, so it's, this is, this is, this is a West Virginia connect over somebody telling somebody that so-and-so that works at the school is Italian. She's going to make you this Italian dish, blase, blase. Once that got around, you thought the president came through. And I don't, I have no affiliations with this school. I just heard how he was coming through. I just heard he was going to drop the copper. I said, what you mean drop a copper? Oh, yeah, he's going he gonna to come on the helicopter. Oh, Nick, come on the helicopter? Like, if you would have said police escorts, I would have said, that's Nick. He's supposed to. But Nick bought and dropped the copper? Man, y'all playing. Them people won't play. That boy dropped that copper on that football. <laughs> dropped that copper <laughs> on that football field. I said, man, the last time I've been on the copper, that was for a tour of of international. <laughs> and, I, and I had to pay $150, $150 for a tour around Orlando. He driving on the copper to go and get a recruit. If I saw that as a recruit, I don't know how you walk away and say no to that. Based on that and that alone, you see a guy literally land a helicopter at a place that traditionally you don't see a guy land a helicopter how do you say no to that? Shit, by saying no? Like, nah, I'm straight. Because <laughs> we ain't even gonna get some of this. You gotta, off from what I'm about to say, you gotta unrecord. Man, these, this been going on for a long time, man. This, is this, 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 them brown paper bags. Them brown that. paper bags been going that. on for a long time, bro. <laughs> a long time. But anyway, I messed I, up I, earlier. Shout out to all the fans, the viewers, the Instagrammers, the Twitters. Shout out to our sponsor, Bet Online. And I messed us up earlier because I was so into what I wanted to say. So again, shout out to Bet Online who've been sticking with us from day one. You know what I'm saying? Shout out, I'm gonna say it again. Shout out to Bet Online who've been sticking with Mark Bergen, 
Ike Taylor, Believe It Still is podcast every week. Another shout out. Now make sure y'all give us our five-star reviews because we acting like we're Black Diamond Hotels or coming off a black ledge. Either you're in Vail or you're in Breckridge, Colorado. We black and we diamond everything. So give us five stars. That's all we asking for. Ike, shout out to you for bringing it all back together because I'll be honest, I have no idea how I was going to do that. Shout out to you for making me spit out my water on today's show too. I appreciate <laughs> you for that. But we always love hearing from the listeners. Leave us a five-star review. We'll yes. read that on the podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have questions for us, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. I always love hearing from you, Ike, on Twitter and Instagram. Ike swagging you on Twitter and on Instagram, one of a kind as well, too. But Ike, uh, this is always so much fun. We kind of got off script here at the end, but hopefully the listeners enjoy listening to right, our right. conversations about football and conversations about life. 100%. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care and so long, everyone. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.